and it is Jesus who makes this a glorious day. Welcome to this morning's broadcast. Glad you could join us. Today, Pastor Elliot takes us to John chapter 1 verse 14 for this very special Christmas sermon clip. The title of the message is Camping and Christmas. Turn your Bibles to John chapter 1 verse 14 and wonder with us at the miracle of God becoming man to save us from our sins. Ladies and gentlemen, Pastor Robert Elliott. Really no one that I know of envies the mosquito. They tend to be hated and they tend to be hunted. They're pesky. And certainly no one I know would volunteer to become a mosquito. I mean, if you could, would you want to? Mosquitoes go along with camping in my memories. And this titled sermon is Camping and Christmas. We're going to be in one verse, in John 1, verse 14, principally is our attention this morning. Christmas and camping. Camping and Christmas. John 1, verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. There's so much to see in this one single verse. First of all, the Lord Jesus Christ is called the Word, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. If you go back just some verses to verse 1 of John, chapter 1, Jesus Christ is referred to there as well as the Word, John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Will you notice that the Word had no creation? He was always existing, self-existent God. Christ being called the Word says that. Christ is God. He became human flesh, the word became flesh, chapter 1, verse 14, at Christmas, when divinity was welded together with humanity in a miracle, a flat-out, beautiful miracle. Now, this concept of Christ being the word, in Greek it's logos, in Hebrew it's debar, logos in Greek, debar in Hebrew, but in both languages, the word is the word in word and deed. Jesus Christ is the word both in word and in deed. Jesus Christ is both the word of God and the deeds of God. When he spoke, God spoke. When he acted, God acted. When he promised, God promised. Next, verse 14 states that the word became Flesh. Of course, this is Christmas. Eternal God, without beginning or ending, becoming something which he already had made, namely human flesh. Christmas is God becoming human flesh. A miracle. The human flesh that the Savior became included human nature, that is human body, human soul, human spirit, it included everything, in fact, it means to be human except one thing, a sin nature. 
Jesus Christ, virgin-born, had no sin nature. He had no tendency to rebel against his father. He had no bent to be independent of the decrees and plan and will of God. These things are passed along from human fathers to human children. But Joseph was only an adoptive foster father to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ's perfect father is God the Father. And Jesus Christ's human mother was given life in her womb as a miracle of the Holy Spirit. So the Lord Jesus Christ was fully human in nature, in body, in soul, in spirit, but not in sin nature. What does we mean he was human in nature other than a sin nature? He had a human nature in the sense of a sense and an ability to communicate. His human needs were very real. His human interests were very real. His human non-sinful tendencies were very real. He was virgin born, inherited no sin nature, no tendency to sin whatsoever. Verse 14 goes on to say, and he dwelt among us, starting at front part of verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. This is an intriguing Greek verb, skenao. Skenao as a verb in Greek means literally to pitch a tent. Jesus Christ pitched his tent the first Christmas. We would say he went camping. He left all the palatial splendors and perfections of heaven which he created, his inhabitation, to come and camp, to pitch his tent in our campsite. Jesus Christ, eternal God, willingly came to earth to camp out in a tent for a short while. And so Christmas is nothing more, nothing less, nothing other than God entering a campsite called earth, which was muddy with sin, dirty with injustice, inclement with rebellion against the will of God. Robert Stevenson Grandfather of the famous Scottish author Robert Louis Stevenson was respected in his own right as a gifted engineer. In 1872, 100 years after he was born, a celebration was arranged to honor his memory. As part of the festivities, a parade was being held in his honor, displaying banners. And one of the banners stood out as the best, expressing the spirit of the occasion. It was held high by a simple farmer, and it bore the simple message, one of us. When Jesus Christ, eternal God, decided to step across the galaxies, planets, stars that he flung into space by his word of his command, he came to pitch his tent in our campsite, and we can say, one of us. Amazing. Other New Testament scripture, of course, calls the human body a tent. Jesus Christ became incarnate and pitched his tent in our campsite, but we all live in tents too because we're fellow campers here on this campsite called Earth. If you hold your places in John 1 and go with me to 2 Corinthians 5, scripture calls your body and my body a tent. 
2 Corinthians 5, verses 1 through 9. For we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For indeed, in this house we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling from on high. Inasmuch as we have put it on, we will not be found naked. For indeed, while we are in this tent... We groan being burdened because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now he who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave us the Spirit, that is the Holy Spirit, as a pledge. Therefore, being always of good courage and knowing that while we're at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. Therefore, we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. So scripture calls your body a tent. And scripture said that the Lord Jesus Christ, the first Christmas, came and pitched his tent on earth. He took on a human body capable of dying, capable of bleeding. That is Christmas. I have a Christmas devotional I'd like to share with you this morning. It's called The Death of the Impossible, a Christmas devotional by Dr. D. Jeffrey Bingham chair and professor of theological studies at Dallas Theological Seminary. For nothing will be impossible with God. Luke chapter 1, verse 37. The death of the impossible. Occasionally, impossibilities are something we take in stride. We can't breathe underwater. We can't go long without sleep. We can't fly unless aided by some type of craft. As humans... As finite creatures, however, we are frequently frustrated, regularly disappointed, sometimes utterly devastated by the impossible. Frequently we find ourselves limited by time, unable to live outside its restrictions. If we think to ourselves, we could just make this moment last a little longer, if we could just go back and make that telephone call, withdraw that cruel word, make the drive to visit a loved one. Regularly, our limitations within space leave much to be desired. We can't be at both soccer games. We can't be ministering in Kenya and with an aged, ill parent who lives in the States. Sometimes our limitations crush us. It's impossible for us to will a corpse back to life. Our grief and sorrow cannot raise the dead. Death is bitterly cruel, and we, in and of ourselves, are ultimately helpless in its grasp. To such frustrated, disappointed, devastated people, the angel speaks in Luke chapter 1, verse 37, saying, for nothing will be impossible with God. I love these words. They are the foundation of my hope, the promise of an end to my tears. These blessed angelic words came after two miracles, after two 
natural barriers have been broken down by God's power and mercy. The aged Baron Elizabeth and the young Virgin Mary had conceived. These Christmas miracles, these reversals by God Almighty of natural human impossibilities rolled out the red carpet for a future of miracles. From here on out, humans would be touched by God in supernatural ways. By faith, the unrighteous would be justified. The spiritually dead indwelt by the Spirit would be reborn. Israel would inherit her land. The shameful, mortal, corruptible dead in Christ would be raised in glory, immortality, and incorruption. Why? Because nothing is impossible with God. Where God exercises his merciful power, impossibility dies. Please pray with me. Lord, we thank you that you are the God of all possibility, that all the power there is to have is yours, and that you exercise it, doing the supernatural regularly. And we as your believers know it full well. We thank you, Lord, for answered prayers. We pray that they would spur us on to trust you all the more. We thank you, Lord, that we can see you to be as big as you truly are when we study your word. Forgive us, Lord, if we have shrunk you down to a size that is way smaller than you actually are. I pray for any listener today who is facing things that are seemingly impossible, financial bills and debts, a cure from disease, a return of a wayward child, a resurrection of a nearly dead marriage. Lord, thank you that the angel said, and it continues to be so, for nothing will be impossible with God. Lord, give us all a blessed Christmas celebration this year, basking in the truth that nothing is impossible for you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Today's Help for the Hearing segment is brought to you by Calvary Bible Church's Christian Counseling Center. The center is located at 58 Collins Avenue, Nassau, Bahamas. If you would like an appointment or more information, dial 323-7000. That's 323-7000. Or email them at cccbahamas at gmail.com. And now, the Executive Director of the Christian Counseling Center, Pastor Frederick Arnett. Again, thank you for having us in your homes, and I pray that you having a blessed time of holidays this month. As I indicated the last time we talked about Christmas, was the fact that there are so much money that are being spent for presents and gifts is between the time of Thanksgiving and Christmas. I would like to say to you that Christmas is not as much about opening our presents as 
opening our hearts. And that is key. We need the Christ of Christmas rather than things of Christmas. Would you like to respond to that, Helen? Yeah, Do you I, agree or, or um, what would you say? I agree that um, Christmas isn't just about the gifts under the tree uh, or the frolicking or whatever. I think it's valuing people and loving and appreciating the people in your life. Uh, it reminds me of a letter I saw to Dear Abby some years ago, and this woman who had lost her husband had written to Dear Abby and was saying that um, she, you know, really regret all the years when she spent so many hours shopping for gifts. And this particular Christmas, you know, she lost her husband, and she was saying that she now understand the perfect gifts were the love and the closeness they shared together. And she said, your love and that togetherness and usness, she said, you can't buy that in a department store. So these are things, if we are not careful in the hustle and the bustle of Christmas, we trample upon our loved ones or people by trying to stand in line at the supermarket or the department store getting this gift and our manners is so shabby that we don't focus on, you know, the usness that we can enjoy and the courtesy of being kind or even if somebody jump in the front of you, just let them go. Because don't lose like your manners during this time of the year when it's in these big stores, there's so much pushing and rushing to get a gift wrap or whatever. Let's remember that when Christmas is over, we still have to live together. I can appreciate what you are saying, Helen, uh, especially when we listen and read about what happens in the U.S., for instance, on Black Friday. Uh, that is a time when people spend many hours just camping out in order for a particular store to open in order to get the first preference. It speaks volumes to me because I have to ask the question, do we really know what we are supposed to be celebrating during what we call the Christmas season rather than taking this as a time when we look at how much money we can make in our stores or make our friends feel wanted. And when the end of January come and the bill shows up, as you said in our last uh, discussion, that's when McGee would say where the rubber meets the road. All of the good times you thought you had, reality sets in. And when reality sets in, the relationship goes asunder because the bill has to be paid and if it isn't paid somebody is going to suffer and most of all the relationship suffers yeah because there's bickering on who's going to pay the bills and then you may have to end up um, losing your house or whatever so you lose your house you lose your relationship or whatever and and then 
it, it, you, you sit down and you say, is this what Christmas is all about? Where is the love? Where is the usness? Where is the close fellowship? And if you have already um, severed all your ties uh, by being mean and ugly, then you really don't have a relationship in Christmas, and you then enter into the new year with the blues or depression. Yes. After all this hustle and bustle. Yes. Uh, you used the word several times since we started discussing Christmas, this usness. Usness is what is really missing in relationship today because no matter what the situation is, the tendency is, what is in it for me? What am I going to get out of it? No matter what the situation is, you want to know what's in it for me rather than what's in it for us. And you, you are quite right. Usness is missing in our marriage today more than anything else because it's not about what's best for my spouse or what can I do as an individual to make my spouse not only happy but appreciate the relationship and if both individual try to please each other by doing what they know is necessary to make the relationship what God intended it to be we will find that we will have a relationship that we will not be ashamed at the end of the day so, again, we will pick up from here next time in the will of the Lord. Have a blessed day. I have another Christmas devotional for you that uh, is a blessing to me. It's called The Folly of Christmas. It's written by Dr. Michael Svigel, Assistant Professor of Theological Studies at Dallas Theological Seminary. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom. And the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 25. The folly of Christmas. When measured against the world's wisdom, the Christmas story sounds foolish. The eternal God becoming human makes less sense than a man becoming an ant. But if the nativity sounds absurd in 2015, you should have tried preaching it in the year 215. When ancient Christians insisted that the true God united with true humanity, folks would cringe. Spiritual divinity and fleshly humanity don't mix. Look at it from their perspective. Without access to modern hygiene and medicine, most people in the year 215 had a bleak perspective when it came to physical bodies and aging. Inevitable aging and untreatable diseases reminded them of human mortality. Everybody was sliding toward death. So why would the living God have anything to do with this mess? Yes, in the year 215, as in the year 2015, the words, the word became flesh, sounded like so much folly. Yet, Christians insisted on the folly of Christmas as true wisdom, boldly proclaiming that the holy God 
was born in a musty stable. In fact, in his defense of the Incarnation, written around the year 215, the Church Father Tertullian acknowledged that the Nativity frustrated the refined philosophers of his day. And this is what Tertullian wrote, quote, It is, of course, foolish if we are to judge God by our own conceptions. End of quote. So why would Christians in the year 215 live and die for such a far-fetched folly? Because it's true. Tertullian famously turned the tables on the folly of Christmas when he declared, the fact is certain because it is impossible. That's amazing. The fact is certain because it is impossible. In other words, no new religion with worldwide ambitions would make up something like the Word became flesh. Yes, the Incarnation takes the award for the most unbelievable religious claim. But isn't that the point? Isn't the foolishness of God wiser than man's wisdom? Isn't the weakness of God stronger than man's strength? So, here in 2015, embrace the folly of Christmas and troll those ancient carols with confidence. Let us pray. Lord, we thank and praise you for the miracle and the wonder of the unexpected of Christmas, that you would send your only Son, Father, and that he would willingly come to be born of a woman, a virgin woman, as a miracle, and then to take on humanity, to take on human body that could experience all the things that we do for the express purpose that Christ would lay down that human body in physical death for us, that he would shed his blood for sinners like all of us and would offer us the surety of forgiveness of our sins in heaven one day as grace gifts, grace gifts that can only be received by putting our full trust onto Christ alone, onto his person who he is, and unto his works, what he did. May every listener in the sound of my voice be trusting Christ alone this Christmas and therefore be saved, converted, born again. I ask this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church, Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship service begins this morning at 11 a.m., in the sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We encourage you to join us. Feel free to write us at eocradio at gmail.com or P.O. Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And remember, everyone needs a savior.